Finally. Finally. Yeah, worked out for the fifth time. Yeah. Well, hello everybody. Welcome once again to yet another edition, another episode, another one for the books Woo-hoo. of the Worship Ministry Catalyst podcast. Worship Ministry Catalyst is a networking resource for all worship leaders and worship team members serving as a catalyst to facilitate better worship in the local church. My name <sighs> is David. <laughs> and I'm Kevin. <laughs> and we are joined yet again with our very special guest, John Ross. Hi, John. Thank you for being here. Kevin, David, thank you. Good yeah. to be here. Welcome, welcome. Glad to have you. Are you talking your mic again? Uh-huh. Still talking? Okay, just want to make sure I had plenty of signal. Good, good. We don't want to deprive the listeners of your broadcasting excellence. Of my yummy nasally voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the yummy goodness. It's the nasal trio today. Woohoo! Because we're all nasal. Yeah. We we like to talk about our, our voice, you know, into uh, our, our tones and our uh, inflections. And we, we talk a lot about these sort of things. So, man, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Well, welcome to the conversation. This isn't just a worship podcast. It's all things nasally. Uh, I went. I actually went to the doctor like, I don't know, a week, two weeks ago. Really? To find out if I was allergic to something. Wow. Because I'm like congested. Because it's been that bad. Are you? That much. Did I they, don't know. They haven't given you the results they yet. They haven't gotten back to me yet. Did they do the thing where they like prick you with a million different things? They did some, they, It's there's some sort of newfangled technology where all they do now is take your blood. So all, I just gave blood. That's it. And then they took, I, they took my blood to some lab and did tests on my blood, hmm. which is much better. Preferable to them doing tests on my actual body, you know, like, like pricking me everywhere. And You're like, like the, the giving human... you random nuts. I, well, everyone I talked to said they would do that, you know, like all over yeah. your back, on your back or yeah, something. Exactly. So, and they're like, let's see if your body swells up when we, yeah. when we put. Oh, let's see if yeah, you can you still breathe. Horrible yeah. goiter. Apparently, you're allergic to that. Oh no, your your whole airwaves are blocked off. Hmm, we should get the uh, tonic for that. Yeah. So, tonic. So new, tonic? new technology. Yeah, but did I say tonic? Me. You said tonic. <laughs> uh, well, like, what do you mean by tonic? It, well, so what I mean the is cure? like the uh, the cure, well, the magical elixir, the elixir, wellness. the yeah. um, you know, like when you get so that's bit not with how I'm the, used to hearing tonic. When you get, when you it's get, usually another, <laughs> another. <laughs> it's the gin and the tonic. Yeah. No, um, that's what I was thinking. The elixir. Uh, when I'm you, a sinner. When I you know. have a uh, uh, a snake venom. What's it called? Like the cure. Um, it's not anti venom. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Whatever, forget it. Forget it. it's not even worth it anymore. <laughs> Man. Um, anyway, well, I was gonna say that I actually am allergic to something, and I used to joke nuts? about it. No, no, yeah. bees, nuts, no, all the normal thing. Well, I, I'm allergic to penicillin, but that's neither here nor there. But I, I'm actually allergic to the sun, um, uh, and I thought it was just a joke because every. Stop laughing. Why are you laughing? It's a real thing. I, I used to think, you know, I would joke about it because every time I would go out uh, from a building outside where, with the sun, I would, so I would sneeze and people, oh, you're allergic to the sun. You know, haha, it's a big joke. I looked it up. Wikipedia, go ahead. We all know Wikipedia is accurate. Yes, everything on Wikipedia so is true. It's, it's called sun sneezing, and it's, it's actually. Um, it's actually a condition where when you're uh, – uh, there, there's like this cross between the nerves in your nose and your brain where uh, when your eyes dilate, um, it, it, it crosses over and it, it makes you think that you need to sneeze. So every time I go outside or every time like I go from a dark building to a light building or dark – Dark to not dark to light building, but that doesn't sound like an allergy. It sounds like a neurological condition. Well, whatever. I'm just, what? <laughs> dang it, David. 
<laughs> you're totally you're, you're ruining pre- everything. You're, you're predisposed <laughs> to nerve crossings. Yeah. I'm just saying that I I used to joke about yeah I'm allergic to the sun, but I found out thanks to Wikipedia I really am allergic. You to have the a sun. sun condition. I have a sun condition. Okay, and apparently it affects like one in every ten people, so it's not that uncommon. Ten percent of people are affected by sun sneezing. That's actually really common. <laughs> yeah. So if you're listening and you've lived your whole life like me, wondering what the heck's wrong with you, and wondering if you, you know, if if you are messed up, there's nothing wrong with you. You can join the millions of people who are affected by sun sneezing. This is the worship ministry catalyst solving <laughs> the world's problems one at a time. That's right. One beginning with sun allergies. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So anyway, that's we my, have been trying to pick up some corporate sponsors. You know. Is there? We have. Is there a? Uh, I can no, see. I can see no Wikipedia cure. paying you definite royalties for this conversation. For sure. We've talked about um, TurboTax. Yeah, we. This kind of product placement shouldn't be offered <laughs> just for free. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. To we, our massive we need, audience. We need to be. Uh, we need to be marketing this somehow. Hey, we actually have. How many subscribers do we have now? I don't know. That's like four hundred and something. See, that's not bad. Yeah. I think we're actually we're making some yeah. progress. And out of those 400 people, 40 of them are affected by sun sneezing. So, <laughs> But it's a worldwide audience, which is pretty cool. That's, that's, cool. that's 40 lives forever changed. That's right. <laughs> and there could be some people like people I don't know in why Australia. I stop the podcast right here. We should. I think, we've, I think <laughs> what, we're good to go. What else is there to talk about, man? Yeah, we've, 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 we've solved, solved that. The, changed the world for a day. No, but seriously, I really thought Market there was something down. wrong with me, and I would just make a joke of it. But now, now that I know it's a real thing, I feel so much better. I feel like there's not something wrong with me, so... Well, uh, so we, yes, and now it'll cool. We're we're, we're looking at the lava lamp, okay. and now it'll cool up there, and then it'll start to actually look cool okay. again. But um, David has a lava lamp in his office. Yes, lava lamps are cool, and I have a stoplight. Yes, and a water fountain, which is currently on red, meaning do not enter. And I have a Buckeyes helmet, and you have a mini some fridge. jazz art. I have basically as much stuff as you can cram into one, you know, ten by. 15 space yeah. is what I have in my office. So, uh, but hey, we have so, John yeah, Ross so, so with John, us again. John is here not to talk about sun sneezing. <laughs> He's actually but are here. there uh, are there any you know little little known facts about you that might uh, be interesting to people out in the podcast world? I mean, I I, I already gave you the. I just got tested for allergies. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> I I I own a dog who might be the smartest dog in the world. Really, it's true. I've met yeah met him. What what makes it smart? Uh, she, she her she, she's um whoops. well she she's she's actually too smart for her own good most of the time. She knows like every trick in the book, you know. Um, but also knows enough to be like mischievous and sneaky. And try to like get away with things. Can she uh, open the fridge by herself? Probably. I've never <laughs> caught her doing it, but no, she's a great dog. I was watching America's Funniest Home Videos, and they like set up a hidden camera, and they yeah. cat, caught this dog opening the fridge and wow. eating stuff. Wow! So, How embarrassing for that yeah. dog. <laughs> Man, so John is here, and um, John. Uh, if you listen to some of our previous episodes, he John is an accomplished guitar player and is currently um, one of the associate pastors and, and uh, does the music at the Pearl Church in downtown Portland. Um, John, how about I'll just let you introduce what you do 
uh, even though you did it a couple episodes ago. Yeah, so Pearl is um, a younger church. We've only been in meeting for about eight years now. Uh, it was planted there in the Pearl, and we started meeting in the gallery room of a diner, held about 50 people or so, and, and when there were 50 people attending, it just felt like a revival. We didn't know what to do, and uh, started meeting in a slightly bigger space, and um, God's just been really faithful to, to sort of sustainably grow uh, his church, and We've been we've been trying to be as responsible as possible um, to grow at a, a I don't know I like that word a sustainable rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we currently are doing two services. Uh, we meet in a community building in a conference room, and we're right now kind of in a season of maybe looking for another place to meet and transitioning. It felt like the last couple of years we've been transitioning from being a church plant to a planted church, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I feel like the next few years will be uh, more like trying to define a, a long-term vision. So I think a lot of questions for churches as they're very, at the very beginning as they're getting started is, is, is this even viable? Will will we grow into an adult or, or, or is this church not going to be viable? Um, and now I think we're able to ask um, different questions, which feel like, like really exciting questions, like what kind of a legacy will we be able to leave as a church for possibly even another generation and, wow. and, and people that will, will follow and be a part of this community long after we're gone, you know? So that's a really exciting kind of, it's exciting for me to be in sort of what feels like on the ground floor of a, of a church. And so that has a lot to do with my position. I'm an assistant pastor there and it gives me the opportunity to care for a number of different ministries. Uh, like I said, the, a few times ago when we did a podcast, uh, Everything from uh, kind of the facilities to um, liturgy, adult education, and I also get to oversee music and sound and those kinds of things. So one of the reasons we brought John in, uh, besides his guitar techniques and sharing that, um, if you haven't heard those episodes, definitely check them out. Uh, Great stuff to listen to. WorshipMinistryCatalyst.com. Yeah, uh, definitely listen to them uh, if you are a guitar player or if you are uh, helping uh, someone on your team play guitar. But John uh, is in a unique position at the church where, or I should say the church is in a unique position where they... um, they actually do uh, a lot of liturgy, and they they follow the the traditional church calendar. And one of the things that that I love about what what John's doing, one of the things I respect is uh, in in a culture and a society that kind of is is always you know trying to say, all right, how can we be more cutting edge? How can we be more contemporary? What can we do that's going to be the latest, greatest, coolest thing? And I, I know I feel that way sometimes. Um, and I, I'm sure others who are listening to this podcast feel, okay, you know, what can I do to be really cool? How can we make our church, you know, this really hip, cool church? Um, what I love about the Pearl is that they are they are being a really hip, cool, modern church, but in a very eclectic way. Uh, John, you want to share a little bit about the the vision and, and kind of the philosophy uh, behind music and even some of the liturgy you guys do? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think for a more kind of full and complete um, telling of both the story of Pearl Church and sort of the philosophy of ministry there, I would really encourage people to visit the, the church's website, um, pearlchurch.com. And if you click on About Us, there's sort of a bunch of different statements that summarize uh, kind of where we've come from and the things we value. And there's a whole 
uh, page on worship, uh, kind of philosophy of worship at Pearl that describes why we embrace the church calendar and what the different components of our services are. Uh, to, to just a, a bit of it here, um, I think we're in a fairly unique position because we're not, um, we don't have a lot of baggage as a church. We were a church plant um, out of, uh, and we weren't planted out of a denomination or out of another church. We were just sort of started with a, a I guess as close to a blank slate as you can get. So I think that that puts us already in a unique position um, that a lot of other churches probably aren't going to be in. Or if you're a worship pastor and you, you probably find yourself already with lots of traditions or, or um, some constraints within which you must live and work and, and do your thing. So, so it was sort of a unique position to start with. Um, and the church very early on decided that, that it wanted to embrace as wide a variety of, of forms in worship uh, as possible. So um, this is sort of a difference between content and forms. So like let's say you were going to, um, you could do the same content, um, the let's say the hymn, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. Mm-hmm. You could take that and read that as a poem uh, and, and as worship, and that would be one form. You could sing it, that'd be another form. You could chant it, that'd be another form. <laughs> You could responsive reading it. You could uh, the the leader could read one verse, and the congregation could respond by reading. And you could mix all of those forms up. And and all of those forms, the church in various uh, traditions and streams has embraced over centuries. Right. So we wanted to try to avail ourselves to as many of those different forms as possible, and that meant being really eclectic, drawing from as many different sources as we could. So I feel like um, overall we've done a good job of that on a, on a church level and pulling in, uh, things like reciting creeds, um, doing responsive readings and prayers. Uh, we do the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper communion, wherever you want to call it. We do that every Sunday, which is kind of a hallmark of most high church traditions. Uh, we do an official call to worship. We do the reading of the word in the service and everyone stands for the reading of the word. Um, we do a, 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 a time of silence and reflection and confession in every service. And so there's a lot of kind of tradition and um, different elements built into the service. I feel like we're really just scratching the surface when it comes to music, though, uh, mostly because there's a limited number of forms I'm familiar with as a worship leader. <laughs> right. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, and you have, to, you have to be able to draw on what you absolutely. know. Absolutely. You know, like the, the form of, you know, late 20th, early 21st century American acoustic guitar driven worship is really familiar to me <laughs> right the, all uh, the, the chris tomlin stuff yeah and, but 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 the um the gregorian chant and and some of the more um cantor call and response thing that's happening in like the orthodox church or the catholic church is less familiar to me so it's a lot more work for us to to try to familiarize ourselves with those forms and be marked by them and try to incorporate some of them into what we do so um, back you up a little bit here. What was the reasoning behind uh, deciding to do such a huge, broad, you know, spectrum of of styles? You know, a lot of church plants they'll they'll go into an area and then they'll you know they'll try and find what's going to be most relevant maybe to that area, and that'll be the style of worship that they choose. Or you know they'll they'll come or they'll or they'll just decide they want to be the most contemporary church out there, so they go and that's what they do. They just go and go down down that road what was the reasoning behind 
you know, going liturgical, going, you know, with opening up, you know, eclectic and having just this huge spectrum? That's a great question. Um, I think some of it was intentional and some of it was, was unintentional. We sort of learned <laughs> as we went. Uh, I think the intentional part was mostly a recognition that both when it came to the like worship forms and different ways of musical worship and also the the broad variety of like ordering a service and what sort of components would go in a service and how to do a worship service both of those areas we recognized that um that there were so, there were like so many diamonds in the rough out there uh i don't know if that's a good way to put it there were there were amazingly powerful practices out there in, in all sorts of traditions that we knew were there, but we just weren't that familiar with. And, uh, and it seemed, I guess it just seemed like a wise idea to try to, even if it took some effort to sort of um, dig in there and, and find uh, some of the most meaningful and, and practical and applicable aspects of each tradition and, and try to see what would, would, what would work to pull in, apply in our context. It just seemed like a good idea. Uh, it seemed wise because um, I think one of the reasons people stay away from that kind of thing is either a fear of it because it's different. Well, those other people do it that way and, and it's different and we do it this way and it's probably right and they do it that way and it's probably wrong. Uh, I think we came from a perspective of we do it this way because it's what we're familiar with. They do it that way because it's what they're familiar with. And, and we've all, uh, to, to some extent or another, depending on theologically how wide you're willing to open the door, uh, all of us, Catholic, Orthodox, Lutheran, Episcopalian, uh, various forms of Protestantism, we, we are all descendants uh, of the same church, a member of the, the same tree of faith. And so hmm. why wouldn't we... Uh, want to draw from and learn from those various uh, traditions. Do, do you ever have, um, you know, like just your standard evangelical Christian come up and say, man, you know, this is so Catholic, I, you know, I, I can't handle this, or, you know, like all the, the rites and, and the rituals and, um, you know, is do you ever get any pushback from that kind of stuff? I don't know. Um I don't know if this would be surprising. The honest answer is no. Really? We, we get a lot of people who have come from either, they grew up either in a Catholic background or a Luther, Lutheran background, and since then they've, they've found themselves in a number of different evangelical churches or whatever, and they say, you know, I was, just, I was so comfortable at Pearl. Uh, it, it just felt like it had components of home. Because I, I would say probably regardless of which tradition you grew up in, you would find parts of... Uh, the service at Pearl would feel a bit like home to you. So I think that was also part of the idea that we wanted yeah. to create something that um, that didn't appeal just to one certain cross-section. Or it also comes, to, just like I think um, people who study education theory say that pe- different people have different learning styles. Right. I think different people also have, one way or another, probably have different worship styles, like kinds of worship they're yeah, comfortable sure. with, ways they're they're comfortable um, talking about or thinking about or meeting with God. And so in the same way that we want to make sure we hit, we're, we're offering things that appeal to different learning styles so we don't just get one kind of people or appeal to one cross-section of society, I think it makes sense to do that too when it, when it comes to different types of worship. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget one of the choir tours we, we were on. I don't know if you'll remember this. My name got left off of the uh, the housing list. 
Oh so gosh, like the, I, the whole time I do know, remember nobody that. had prepared for me to stay anywhere, right? Yeah, and Whether, then you end up staying with us. Some some of the times I I would go with some people if they could take an extra person. One time I stayed in the church by myself. <laughs> like wow, yeah, like you know. And then um, did you sleep on a like a pew? Yeah. Yes. Wow. And then another time, um, I ended up staying with a senior pastor at one of the, it was a larger church down in California. And he said, when we were talking, um, that he said, just remember, because we were talking to you, he knew it was going to be a worship pastor. He said, just remember that people always cling to the music of their youth. And so, so you know, right now, there's a whole generation of youth who are who are growing up and they cling emotionally to to the style of music that is meaningful to them while they're, you know, while they're spiritually being formed. And so later in life, the chances of them clinging to the music that they're doing right now is going to be a lot more, uh, you know, likely than them adapting to a completely new worship style, which is, which is one of the big reasons for a lot of the worship wars is because, you know, a lot of the people who like the hymns and like the stuff like that, it was meaningful. It was spiritually meaningful to them when they accepted Christ, when they were young, when they were being formed both emotionally and spiritually. And so, so that's, you know, that's, people do have different worship styles. I guess that's why I say that, you know, so they, they, over, over time, they get used to and connected to a certain style of music. And then, and then it doesn't feel like worship when Mm. you, when you try a new style. Totally. Right. And so I remember, you know, my wife and I went to a service. It was at a, uh, a Lutheran church and it was very, you know, liturgical from beginning. I can't remember what it was called, but, um, but we left and it was like, wow, you know, that felt like going to church because, (laughs) you know, you know, because, you know, I grew up in a, a a very traditional church and, and, you know, you go there and it just kind of felt holy. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? A lot of the worship that we do now doesn't necessarily have a holiness feeling to it like you you can come in you can come in kind of lackadaisically and just not really do anything it's casual there's a casual Mm -hmm. attitude i think that that has hit a lot of churches Um, which is why i think that there's a big draw now for a lot of people towards liturgy and towards something that feels like it has meaning and something that goes back thousands of years yeah the, a traditional distinction made in those kinds of conversations is a high church, low church mm-hmm. kind of distinction. High church meaning uh, uh, often associated with uh, lots of liturgy, kind of official feeling kinds of church. Um, the service itself uh, has very little um, spontaneity in it. Everything just sort of progresses. Sometimes it'd be associated with priests or people usually in robes, the, that mm-hmm. kind of high church feel. and. And and what most Protestant evangelicals are familiar with is a church that feels very low churchy. There's often a real casual beginning, maybe uh, a kind of a spontaneous introduction. Uh, think prayers are always uh, extemporaneous prayers, just said spur of the moment. Not a lot of official kind of feel to the mm-hmm. service. And um, you know, I think both are. I think. Well, I think both are really valid, and I think uh, when we begin to associate one with worship and uh, the other with different and yeah, not right. worship, that's the danger. Uh, so I think that really that kind of encapsulates the dream that that we're trying to pursue at Pearl. If if we can do both, if, and if we can have parts of the service that feel very high church and parts that feel very low church, then then young people growing up at Pearl 
they'll grow up thinking and understanding and realizing that both are worship, right? And they won't begin to have, we, we won't begin to have people who have a definition of worship as only one way of doing things. Right. Well, that'd be beautiful. And, yeah. Um, I have so many things that are in my head, but, um, <laughs> well, going back to the high church, low church thing, you know, don't, yeah, I wouldn't swear to this, but I think, I think that was actually a class, a class separation. So, um, you know, like when Longview was started, it was started by this guy whose last name was Long, Ari Long, and he, he built, you know, the community church, which looks a lot like a cathedral that you would see over in um, Europe somewhere. And so, which is where he was from. So he built this, you know, this church, the community church, and he had a dream that everybody would come together as one community. What ended up happening is the high, you know, the upper class people, the people who were making all the money at the mill, you know, the really, the richer people of the town went to this. And then the other, the kind of lower class people, whatever, you know, I I don't think of them that way, but they would go and they started their own churches and started other churches because they would try to go to the community church and, and it didn't feel like church because they had grown up and, you know, and experienced different. So even, you know, a hundred years ago, not quite a hundred years ago, the same high church, low church thing was still affecting people. And, you know, I think, you know, whether we were, whether we were raised one way or another, I think to to separate worship <clears throat> based on anything, you know, to to not to not have worship be worship, wh- whether it's a style that we're comfortable with, a style that's completely out of our comfort zone, to take it and say that this is more. I've been in this battle a lot, not here, but at other churches. But to say that this this is more, this is worship, and yeah. that's. That's not, you know, whatever, whichever side you're going, one or one way or the right, other. Right. To, to to basically to to say, all right, I've figured out what worship is, and this right. is the definition of worship, and this is how we do it. it. It reminds me of when we had Scott Olson here a long time ago, back on episode seven or eight, and you know, uh, Scott's uh, approach to ministry, you know, was was very different um, in, in terms of, you know, they intentionally were targeting. Uh, people in their mid twenties and in their you know young thirties who weren't going to church, and, and their whole point was to try to get you know really good quality music that would be you know kind of a, attractional to uh, the, these people. But one thing he said that always stuck with me is, you know, um, he said that a lot of times worship leaders go into a Sunday and their goal is to try to not suck. You know, <laughs> like like that that's their one goal. Like, boy, I hope the music this week doesn't suck. You know. And, um, and, and instead of, instead of going into the service saying, boy, you know, I I hope, I hope we pulled off being able to say like, here's, you know, here's what we are intentionally doing. And Scott's comment was that, uh, he never, he never thinks about, you know, all right, I'm doing a hymn, I'm doing a, a chorus. He just does good music, you know, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether the the song is a Chris Tomlin song or whether it's it's Come Thou Found, you know. He said we just want to do music that that's good, um, and we want to do music that that is you know um, that's act you know theologically accurate, uh, musically good, and that's going to be you know uh, that's going to be reaching our target audience. And so I guess John, question for you, in terms of how you are picking music, in terms of how you are doing music. 
what what do you do? Like, do you try to find a balance? You know, being so eclectic in in your approach, uh, is, is there like a ratio, or do you just do? Do you just do music, you know, kind of more like Scott's approach? Like, I don't think hymns, I don't think choruses, I just do music that's going to work, you know? Fantastic question. Uh, let's see. And it's a big, large question. Yeah. Uh, practically speaking, um, there's some just surfacey, pragmatic decisions that we try to make. And, and this is just a, mostly my decision. Uh, I personally want to make sure we do at least one or two hymns every Sunday. Uh, if we do a whole service and we do no hymns, uh, it's not that the, 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 we would somehow be doing something wrong or breaking a rule. Uh, mostly we would we would be communicating, like if somebody came and it was their first Sunday or, or if we did this regularly, we'd be communicating to our people that um, that worship is just this way. So we, we do intentionally try to have a balance. We want to balance old stuff with new we want to balance slow with fast we want to balance um even theologically we want to balance calvinist with reformed and arminius type of songs i mean literally we want (laughs) to we want to we want to try as much as we can both in the short term like one service and in the long term over the, the calendar year um to try to balance these things um i think philosophically more like big so, so leaving sort of the practical stuff, talking big picture philosophy stuff, um, we at Pearl we think in terms of creating space for worship, hmm. as opposed to directly leading worship itself. Uh, worship's a, a funny thing. We've already talked about it. Like you can't nail it down or define it. Like if you play this song, it's worship, or if you do it this way, it's worship. I think because we all realize that worship has so much to do with what what happens in the individual believer's heart or in our heart or in the hearts of those who are attending services. You could play the same song one way and one one person, it might be accurate to say they were worshiping and the person right next to them, it might be accurate to say they weren't worshiping. Uh, so, so we as a music ministry uh, don't, actually think it's our job to make people worship or get people to worship. We think it's our job to create space for worship. And that's what the music does. It, it creates space for worship to happen. So we want, we want the music to both um, help try to facilitate and inspire worship. Uh, so in that sense, um, and I know this will sound weird, but in that sense, sometimes at Pearl I do songs that I really dislike. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't think they're a good song or I don't enjoy singing them, (laughs) but I do them because those songs create space for our congregation to worship. And I know this because I talk to people in our congregation and they say, when you guys play this song, uh, I connect with God. And, and that's a reason to do that song. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, it may not, it may not create space for worship for me, but it sure does for them. And, and that's, and that's the idea. Uh, well, yeah, two two real key things there that you were just talking about. Um, that last thing may not create space for worship for you that you just said. I think, I think, and we've hit on this, and but a lot of times as worship leaders, we get real selfish in our in our song selection. 
and our worship style selection, you know, not, I'm not saying us specifically, maybe us, but, you know, just worship leaders in general. And I've, I've encountered a lot of this where we pick songs based on what we like and we don't want to do something that we don't like to do. But that, that, I think that's, I think that's a wrong, a wrong way to think, a wrong paradigm because there could be, there may only be a handful of people that worship like we do in our congregation. And the the majority of the people in the congregation could actually worship in a different way. And if we're only ever picking songs that we connect with and that we that we want to worship to, then we are leaving we're choosing to put our needs ahead of the congregation's needs and and let our style of worship dictate what worship should be for the rest of the congregation. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that I think that perspective is good and healthy because it realizes our own limitations as a worship leader. Right. We're limited by who we are. And our likes and our dislikes, and that's okay. And, and and sometimes that'll work to our advantage because maybe we're educated and maybe we know music, and so we can we can kind of smell out good songs and bad songs and good music and bad music. But I guess my thought is if I if I'm not at least doing some things that I really don't care for, <laughs> as a as a as as the person who's responsible to create space for worship at my church, then there have got to be a ton of other people who attend my church who are nothing like me who are not getting anything that does it for them you know so 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 it's really okay uh, as a worship leader to intentionally do things that don't float your boat because you know that they float someone else's well and there's got to be a reason that that song from 1794 is in a hymnal that we have today yeah there's got to be something to it there's so. there's history behind mm-hmm. it right the other thing i was going to say as we keep talking about this actually i think we need to take a break and come back to it in our next episode. Next episode. So, um, boy. So we'll pick up there. Keep going. We'll leave you a cliffhanger for that one. But um, so, just really quickly, you can get in touch with John, johnrossmusic.com, pearlchurch.com. Get in touch with us, worshipministrycatalyst.com. Email david at worshipministrycatalyst.com or uh, kevin at worshipministrycatalyst.com. And you can join our social network, worshipministrycatalyst.ning.com. <laughs> <laughs> We'll talk to you real soon. Oh, bye.